Okay, well, before I jump into the topic of the day, and you guys got a handout to fill out if you want to work on that, uh, I'll, I'll try to leave a, a few minutes at the end for you to complete it if you haven't already done so. But I'm interested for you to look back at your past as to whether you've done labor that was an act of love for somebody. Sometimes people will build a habitat home or uh, do something where they knew somebody was benefiting from their labor and they just had great joy. And I want to know whether you've had that experience and what it did for your energy level. And then whether you've ever worked where there was no love involved, you just needed the money, and what your experience was like in that situation as well. So when we get to our response time, we'll talk about uh, those two experiences. If, yes? Okay. Test, test, test. Testing one, two, three. Is that anybody? Should I go higher? Okay. Um, before I actually get into the topic, I just want to speak a little bit to the fact of uh, Good Friday coming and uh, the resurrection coming and just say, okay. Testing one, two, three. Is that better? Can you guys hear me in the back okay? All right. All uh, right. I actually grew up as an atheist, and I just want to express gratitude for God, not just that he did what he did to save us, but that he also gives us not just salvation, but a life of significance. I mean, it would be wonderful enough if he just paid the price for our sins, was punished in our place so that we wouldn't have to be. I mean, we should spend forever thanking him for that. But the fact that that's not the end of the story, but that God has gifted you with something that can be a blessing to many lives. In fact, there's a scripture that says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As good stewards of God's varied grace. So there are parts of God's character that are expressed through each of our gifts. And if we don't step up and use our gifts, then people aren't going to see certain facets of God's character that he wants them to see. And the danger is that we'll think our gift isn't very valuable, and so we'll just bury our talent and not do anything with it. What better way for the enemy to take us out of the game and to cause us to not be fruitful with our lives than by getting us to believe that we have nothing to offer people? But this verse says, as each has received a gift, employ it for one another. So it's to be an act of love for us. And each one of us has at least one gift. And we're to employ it as stewards. Those wonderful gifts aren't just given to us for us, not just given to us so we can make a living, although that's nice. We appreciate that. But our gifts are also given to us 
so that we can bless many, many people with what God has given us. This idea of bearing your talent, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Jesus said no one lights a, a light and then puts it under a bushel. No one puts a pail over a candle they just lit. That'd be stupid. And what is he saying? He's saying he has lit you. Not just to be a blessing to you. I mean, he's happy to be a blessing to you. But he wants you to shine your light where many lives can see. So there's a woman who uh, donated enough for us to build a dorm at my university. Her name was Mary Crowley. And she has this quote that I like. She says, God didn't have time to make any nobodies. He only made somebodies. The people who think they're nobodies, the people who act like nobodies, are really somebodies who have buried their talents. They're really somebodies who have buried their talents. Remember when Moses said, please send somebody else, I don't speak well. The next verse says, then God's anger was kindled against Moses. Now, some people might think Moses was being humble, but if it was real humility, God wouldn't be angry at him. Real humility means lifting our focus off of ourselves so that we can be a blessing. Love requires humility because we have to lift our eyes off of our own interests in order to look to the interests of others. So I just want you guys to... Think about if you worked very hard to buy a wonderful Christmas gift for someone that you love. I mean, it really cost you a lot. How would you feel if they said about that gift, oh, it's, it's no big deal, it's not that good? You'd think, well, thanks a lot. So how does God feel if you belittle your gifts and talents and allow yourself to think of yourself in such a way that you're not brave, that you're not out there sharing what you've got as an act of love for people. The enemy wants you to bury your talent. And I just want you to appreciate what you bring to the table. God has gifted you with something that matters. He hasn't called you to a life of insignificance. The Bible says, that if anyone bears fruit, the Father will prune him that he might bear more fruit. And by this, the Father would be glorified that you bear much fruit. So he hasn't called you to a life of, of insignificance or even to a life of small significance. God wants you to bear much fruit. And by doing so, he will be glorified because you're just using the gifts that he gave you. So he gets all the glory for it. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. He is the strength of your life. He will hold your hand. Be brave. The world needs what you guys got. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it by thinking that you don't have much to give because the gifts that you have are exactly what the world needs. Every heart that you guys get a chance to reach out to will never be satisfied apart from a relationship with God himself, because that's what they were created for. They're living with holes in their hearts, and they're filling it with different kinds of idols, and then they find, well, that didn't work, I'll try this. Oh my gosh, look at that. 
and then they try that, and that doesn't work, and they go on to something else. Sometimes someone will refuse what you've got because they're still enamored by a certain idol, and maybe one day you'll catch them between idols, or maybe they'll discover that all these idols don't work. But God knows their name, and God loves them, and, and he has lit you to be a light to them. So I just want to encourage you to appreciate what you've got and the fact that you're not responsible for how they respond. You don't have to worry about that. Just, just love on them and share truth with them and leave it up to them and God what, what they do with it. That's all you have to do. All right, well, today we're going to talk about humility on the job. And I'd like to begin by telling you a true story about a psychologist who approached some lumberjacks and he said, I need somebody to help me with an experiment and if you can help me, I'll pay you really well. In fact, I'll pay you double what you're making now. So one of the lumberjacks said, well, what would I have to do? He said, basically the same thing you're doing now. So he said, okay, I'll try it. So he shows up on Monday morning and he, he visits the psychologist's office and the psychologist brings him out to a tree that has pillows strapped around the bottom of it. And he gives the guy an axe, but the axe head has been removed. And he says, I just want you to strike the tree with the axe handle and pretend you're cutting it down. The guy's like, you just want me to hit the tree? He said, yep, that's it. So all day long, he hits the tree. And at the end of the day, the guy pays him double. He comes back the next day. He works half a day and quits. Why do you think he quit? The money wasn't worth it. Yeah, so why do you think the psychologist was paying him so much? What was the psychologist testing? Yeah, his motivation how long will you do something that's completely pointless just for the money? How long? When I told this story to my students, one of my students told me a story. He said that he read about this uh, ad that was in the classified section of the newspaper where they said, if you can come to this address, we'll pay you such and such an hourly rate. And it was really quite good. It was like $20 an hour or something that would attract people. And so 24 people showed up. And a supervisor came out. He gave everybody a shovel and gloves. And he showed them where they wanted a hole to be dug. So they dug and they dug and they dug for hours. And in the afternoon, he comes out and he says, okay, now we want you to fill it back in. You know, just fill it back in, walk on it, try to make it look like nothing happened here. <laughs> so they filled it back in, and the next day, of the 24 people who came, 10 came back. So he had them dig it out again, fill it back in again, and the third day, only one person came back. One pathetic person came back. So DBU, my, the school I, I teach at Dallas Baptist University, invited this author to come speak to our students and our faculty. His name is Dr. Arthur Holmes. He's written a couple of books that have made a big impact on several Christian schools, many Christian schools in the United States. One is called All Truth is God's Truth. 
and the other is called The Idea of a Christian College. So he came, and I attended a student event, even though I wasn't a student. I'm the director of student development, so I was just kind of sitting there. And the students were munching on pizzas over lunch. And so he gets up as the speaker, but he only says two words. He says, why work? And then he just waits for them to respond. And after a long pause, they realized he's not going to say anything else unless we say something, you know. So finally, somebody says, so we can eat, so we can pay the bills, so we can make a living. And he says, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm asking you why you think God created work in the first place. Why has he made man and women to work? He then gave about eight reasons why he thought God created work for us to do. But the number one reason, if you'd like to um, fill in the blank on the side of your notes that has the box at the top, his number one reason was work is an opportunity to love people by serving them. Work is an opportunity to love people by serving them. And then he he made this point. He said, if you think work is just about the money, then you've missed the main point. And your work life will never be satisfying to you as a result. You'll probably become one of those pathetic people who's just living for Friday. Oh God, please help me make it till Friday. And Monday is depressing to you. Just making it to Friday is my goal. So the Lord Jesus talks about people who labor and are heavy laden. Have you ever labored and been heavy laden where it's like drudgery to you? You feel like you're trying to do work with an 80-pound backpack filled with rocks or something. Have you ever had this experience? I have. So this is what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye who labor... And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you stop there, you might think he's freeing you from labor. You know, like the solution to being heavy laden or having drudgery in your work is to stop working. But if you read the rest, that's not the solution. He says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know, the yoke was something that would hold the oxen or the donkeys or whatever that was pulling a plow. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does the Lord want to teach us when we come to him about our work lives, which will transform our work lives from drudgery to joy, from something that's heavy laden to something that our burden is light? I want to read to you uh, something written by a guy 
named John White in a book called The Fight. He says, I remember the relief I felt when I quit worrying about exams. I was studying human pathology at the time. With half my mind I was reading, and with the other half I was worrying about such questions as, am I really absorbing this stuff? Is it likely to come up on the exam? Ought I to rely on lecture notes? Why is this so boring? From somewhere the thought came, why not read this chapter as unto the Lord? Not worry about the exam? I caught my breath. The suggestion seemed dangerous. My examiners were not interested in godly conscientiousness, but in my learning the material. The struggle was brief, and I opted for godliness. I was sick of the drudgery of studying for grades and of the pervasive anxiety that inhibited real study. The pressure left me. For you, Lord, became my motivation. To my joy, I found his yoke easy and his burden light so that I studied with rest in my soul. Pathology grew more interesting. The drudgery melted away, and a sense of satisfaction and gratitude took its place. Exams or no exams, I would study for God. And I took time off to play tennis with a carefree spirit. Now I was responsible to use my study time in a way that pleased God. I enjoyed what I was doing. I certainly learned a lot more, though how this affected my grades I do not know, nor do I care. I was no longer working for grades, but for Christ. Study had become for me a calling. Of course, I would slip back from time to time to my old attitudes. Pleasing Christ in my studies was like learning a new swimming stroke. It had to be practiced. But my studies were never the same again. So, I think about students who might think, well, how can I make my studies an act of love for somebody if that's really the secret to turning your work from drudgery to joy? Think about someone who's going to be your surgeon one day. Are you hoping that they're going to be competent? I mean, when they open you up, are you you hoping they were paying attention in school? (laughs) Do you think it's important for a student to make his preparation an act of love, not just the career? Because some students are thinking, when I have a career, I'm going to love people through my service. But now I'm just trying to get past this stage so I can get to this one. They want to bloom where they're not planted, you see? So if you're going to be a surgeon and open somebody up and they're really hoping that you're filled with love for them, and by that I mean that you're willing to do what it takes to do the best for your patient, even if it takes hours, you're not thinking, man, can I make my golf game at two, right? that you're going to put your heart and do the best you can for this patient. But you're hoping also that when they were students, they made their work an act of love to prepare them to be effective when they got to their career. 
So if someone's studying to be an engineer, one day you might go across a bridge that they designed, you know? Are you hoping they were paying attention? (laughs) So those of you who are still in school, find a way to make your work an act of love. And if you do that, if you realize somebody is benefiting from your labor or will in the future, then you have joy. That's the way God made you. There's a connection between love and joy. Jesus said, I'm telling you these things that my joy may be in you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So there's a biblical connection between love and joy. If you you have no joy, don't focus on joy. Joy is a byproduct of two things. Noticing and being thankful for all the thousands of blessings God has given you. If you're not thankful today, it's not because you lack blessings. You are drowning in blessings. The question is, do you notice them? Do you value them? Do you think of how important they are? Do you realize that they're a reflection, a sign of God's love for you, that he's bestowed them upon you? So when we give God thanks, we experience joy. And when we love people, we experience joy. When we love God, we experience joy. So I'm just encouraging you to see your work as an act of love, to make your work an act of love. Because I enjoy my work every day. And I teach four classes, so I teach the same thing four times. And people will say to me, does that get boring? People who are bored are people who are constantly asking themselves whether or not they're having a good time. (laughs) Their goal is to be entertained. If you live to serve, if you realize, man, you and I are not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. It is a privilege, no matter what he gives us to do. It's more than we deserve. It's an absolute privilege to do anything for him. And so if you make it an act of love, you have joy. If you have joy, you have divine energy. The joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. So it enables you to persevere through the long hours. It enables you to persevere through the parts of the job you'd probably rather not do. So I just encourage you to make sure your work is an act of love, to I've even had students who will tell me they were, let's say, taking care of children, and they're just trying to survive, just trying to make it to the other side. I remember the first time my wife left the kids with me and went to see her parents in Oregon for a week. I felt like I need to go back to work just to get some rest, you know? I mean, I had no idea. What with this life? So, I have students who will tell me that they're waiting tables. And one guy said, To me, it's all about payday and quitting time. <laughs> so, they're just needing the money. It's not an act of love, it's, they just need the money. That's why they took this job. But then sometimes the students who are taking care of kids will say, well, 
if I'm going to be here anyway, I might as well love on these kids. And when they start to do that, it transforms it. They start enjoying it. The minutes, which used to be passing like hours, now passes quickly. And God's joy energizes them. And it becomes something valuable to God's kingdom. The thing that causes your works to be gold, silver, and precious stones is the love that you have. Paul says, even if I give away all that I have, even if I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. It's, it's worthless. So I just want to encourage you in your work life or in your work at home to make it an act of love. Make sure that your motives are right. And if you do, joy will be the result and energy will come from the joy and God will be pleased with your work life. When this man was speaking to the students, it immediately reminded me of two friends of mine. One is a guy named Mike Schrock who went to college with me. Sean, you didn't know Mike Schrock, did you? Uh, anyway, he uh, went to Baylor University and then he went back home to Oregon and he worked for a landscaping company. And eventually... He bought the company, and he renamed it Living Color Landscaping. When he bought the company, 14 Burger Kings were franchises, were customers. In other words, they were taking care of the grounds of 14 Burger Kings. And Mike saw his new business, his just-bought business, as a ministry opportunity. So he went to... Disneyland and Anaheim and studied how they did their landscaping and and he said I never used to check the contracts because we were doing so much more than the contracts said that we needed to do he said if I heard that one of these Burger King franchises was about to be inspected I'd send a crew out to remo their lawn and plant new flowers even if it had just been done a few days before so the place would just look spectacular well, the Burger King people couldn't believe all that he was doing because it was so much more than they had paid for. And so his business grew from 14 Burger Kings to 46 Burger Kings and many, many other accounts. And Mike said his heart was just bursting with joy. But something unexpected happened. Mike was invited to become the co-pastor of a new church plant. And Mike didn't want that brand new small church to be burdened with having to support him and his family. And so he decided to keep his business on the side. And he thought, hey, maybe, maybe this was God's intent from the beginning. That the landscaping job would pay the bills and then I can do what I really want. And that is to help pastor this new church. So a couple years later, he invited me to come and do a little retreat for his church. But while I was there, we were talking privately, and he told me that for about a year now, he hated his landscaping job. He said, I'm so bored, I feel like screaming. So the next day, uh, he pulls me aside, and he says, the Lord spoke to me last night about my landscaping work. 
I said, what did you learn? He said, the Lord told me that I'm no longer serving my customers. I'm using my customers. They've become like dollar signs in my eyes. So, Mike humbled himself, and he began to count his landscaping customers as more important than himself as an act of love for them. And he made it his goal every day to make their place look better. And his joy came back to him. So now he has joy on the landscaping side and on the pastoring side because both are an act of love for him. And God is in it because he's choosing to make it an act of love. The other guy that this guy reminded me of was a man named James Tennyson. I don't know if any of you know that name. Any of you happen to know James Tennyson? He's uh, one of the best artists, if not the best, in our country with regard to painting people's portraits. In Texas, the uh, governor hires him, every new governor hires him to do their portrait, and they hang these portraits in the uh, Capitol building in Austin, Texas. And the SMU, uh, Southern Methodist University presidents, all hire him to do them as well. Anyway, uh, he's fantastic. But he told me one day that he was so sick of portraits, he said every time he paints one, he hopes it will be his last one. He actually said to me one day, he said, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I find myself wishing that some rich relative of mine, whom I don't know, would die and leave me a big inheritance so that I can paint what I want, like landscapes, for instance. But landscapes don't pay the bills, so he does portrait after portrait after portrait. So we talked about humbling himself in his work life, and James also told me that a public university will sometimes contract him to paint as a guest artist, not paint, but to teach a class as a I don't mean one class, I mean a course, as a guest artist. So once every two or three years, he also teaches at a local university. And he told me that he gets nervous because sometimes he does painting demonstrations in front of his students and he thinks, I'm supposed to be this big expert. What if I paint something in front of them and it looks stupid? But James humbled himself in his work and he began to count his customers as more important than himself as an act of love for them. That doesn't mean debasing himself. Remember, Jesus is the example of the one who did that, right? It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, 4, and 5, it says, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have the same mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So that's what Jesus did every day and still does. And he's saying to you, if you want to be effective with your life, you must take on the same mindset. You must lift your focus off of yourself to be a blessing. You won't know abundant living until you live a life of love and you allow me to bless many lives through your life. 
You'll be enriched as you enrich others. Increase the contribution of what you are giving out and your life will be fulfilled and joyful. So as James began to think about his portrait painting in a different way, he thought, you know, if I did a wonderful painting of this person's spouse or their child or their family or whoever they've hired me to paint, this could be a blessing to this family for years to come. So he sees it now as a ministry, not just as a way to make money and pay the bills. And so even though, even to this day, he's still mainly painting portraits, now he has joy in what he's doing. So sometimes you can transform the same job. It's not the job itself that's making you miserable. It's loveless work that makes you miserable. It's working and being heavy laden that makes you miserable. Some of my students who wait on tables will sometimes transform it by starting to love their customers. And instead of thinking, my gosh, I've got seven tables. Ah! You know, how do I handle that? They start looking for extra things to do. You know, they've got a bounce in their step now. They're trying to be a blessing to these people who have gone out to dinner. And their cheerfulness and their servant's heart ends up enriching the experience of those that they're serving. And then they always say to me at the end, P.S., my tips went up. Well, of course they did. You know, people appreciate people who have that kind of loving servant's heart. And they appreciate that you enrich their evening. In fact, one of my students told me she was putting herself through school and she got a job for the summer at an Italian restaurant. And she said, there was no love involved. I just had to have the money. And so I took this job, and so for the first two weeks, you know, I was just having to force myself to go to work every day. But after a couple weeks, she started realizing something she had never even thought of before, and that is that the restaurant had regulars, they had regular customers. So she started targeting those people. She said, well, I can get to know people and invest in them and love on them. And so she started doing that, and she started enjoying going to work instead of dreading going to work. By the end of the summer, she was having a great time. In fact, on the second to the last day of the summer, this elderly couple comes in, and they were some of her favorites, so she went over to greet them. And the husband, the elderly man, says, we've been talking about you. And she says, you have? And he says, yeah, you know, God has blessed us, and we want to bless you. We know you've been putting yourself through school, so we're going to pay for one of your semesters. And they did. Tuition, room, and board, they paid for an entire semester. That's maybe $20,000. Now, I'm not saying you can do it for that. (laughs) But if you make your work in active love, it transforms it. You'll enjoy your whole life better. If you get your work life straightened out this way. Some of you are already doing it. The Lord has already taught you how to not be heavy laden. Some of you are already walking in this. But probably all of us have had both of those experiences at some point in our past, right? Where we loved someone through our work and we had joy and we had a lot more energy as a result of the joy. 
And then we probably all worked with no love involved where, my gosh, it was like, is this ever going to end? You know, and it's just really burdensome. And so I just want to give glory to God that he calls us not just to salvation, but also to a life of significance and that he teaches us how to love like he loves so that we can enjoy our work and so that we can, you know, when you humble yourself, then serving people becomes an honor to you. You love to serve. You live to serve. It feeds your heart. You know, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father. He just, it fed his heart. It's a joy. And I just thank God that even as we are coming forward to remembering the crucifixion on Friday, that we give God praise that he's not only brought us to himself, so that he could deliver us from the punishment for our sins, but that he's gifted each one of us with something important to contribute to people's lives. And that he... Have you guys ever thought about how when there's going to be a conference, like, uh, you know, there, there's a, an advanced team that's set up. If it's something pretty big, you know, they always need an advanced team to go and and make sure the logistics are right and the stage and all that kind of stuff is done and the people are invited at the right time and there's transportation and parking and, you know, there's a lot to do. Well, there's a verse that talks about God doing the advanced work for your arrival where it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So today, you're going to encounter someone that God has put in your path tomorrow, on Monday, even on a Monday. God has good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And he'll be blessed because he can use you to bless others. Sean, come on up here and close it out. Thank you. I'm going to step down and turn it over. Let me just close with this thought that in your notes where I asked you to write out about an experience where you made your work an act of love and then another one where there was no love involved and what was that like? What I was hoping to get across today and hoping to get you to see, since you probably all, almost all had those two experiences in your past, what I wanted you to see is that it's a principle. It's predictable. It's repeatable. Those wonderful times that you've had when you've had great joy in your work, you can make that choice every day to make your work an act of love. Or you can neglect to do so and experience being heavy laden, which isn't much fun.